great Odin's raven. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. This is, uh, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. With, I'll go. Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 58. My name is Adam. Today I'm joined by Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing all right. This week we have two interviews lined up. First, we're going to be speaking with Tony Blod, the director of Rover, which is our Kickstart Sunday project from last week, which just got its funding successfully. So this will be the first interview we do with someone that actually... I was going to say. Yeah, they got their funding finished before we did the interview. Uh, then we'll be speaking with directors Kerr Pollitz and Damon Malucci about their upcoming film Detonator. Then we'll be discussing part two of our South by Southwest 2013 coverage. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions and DVD and Blu-ray releases. But first, I wanted to go over an email that we got after last week's episode. I love when we get feedback. And most mostly we get good feedback, but I got this email and I just I felt it felt it was necessary to. Is this our first read. like negative feedback? Uh, like legitimate? Yeah, like I mean, there have been kind of like constructive criticisms here and there, but nothing like this. The subject of this email says, "Wake the fuck up." Yes. Uh, okay, and then I'm I'm quoting here. Quote: Are you guys doping before your podcasts? Why is there always one of you who complains about being tired at the top of the show? Is this an excuse to not be thoughtful or incisive in your reviews? That's kind of how it strikes me. And what's up with the really lethargic guy from your last episode? I did not find his dumb act charming at all. What I'm not looking for in a film podcast is review telling me that a film sucked or was awesome. I would prefer insight, intelligence, and passion. Maybe I'm in the minority. My two cents. So let me just... Let's let's first start off with the lethargic guy. Yeah, let me just... I want to clarify some things because of this email. I'm not, like, angry because of this email or anything like that, but I just thought that it would be good to explain some things. First, the lethargic guy, that's, that's Ryan. Those of you that listen to the show know that we do another show called Ryan Watches a Movie, and occasionally we'll have him on this show as well. Ryan is in a wheelchair and has a neurological disease that prevents him from speaking correctly. It's not that he's... I mean, maybe he is a little lethargic regardless. A little bit. I mean, South by Southwest was pretty taxing. And that was... Yes, and that was actually my next point was... Yes, we were complaining about being tired last week. And in hindsight, I, we probably shouldn't have done that. It was unprofessional. And but I, I, I do want to state again, I am not professional. No. So no. when I'm tired, I'm going to tell you I'm fucking tired. <laughs> and I don't care what you think. When I went back, after I got this email, I did go back and listen to the episode. And yeah, it was not one of our best episodes. I also got to say, I can't remember like what films we talked about in the first. Because everything was like a blur. Yeah, it was like the Friday and Saturday stuff, I believe, that we that we discussed. But I mean it wasn't it wasn't a good episode. And also when we when we talk about movies on the podcast, a lot of times it's movies that we also reviewed on the site. And we, we get into more detail on the site. Usually we keep things brief on the show just, you know, for the sake of cramming everything into the amount of time we have. So I just but- wanted to, to get that out there maybe do some clarification 
I would. I mean, I would. I would agree with the. Sometimes we're not as uh, in depth with films. No, especially yeah. when we do like the what we've been <laughs> watching. But I mean, we can't. If we're talking about like fourteen movies, we can't. We yeah, gotta kind well, of speed it along, you know. And it depends on what the movie is. Like Upstream Color, I really don't want to. Yeah, and much. well, I don't want to give anything away, really. Yeah, and also, also with the South by and any festival coverage that we do, we're not going to be getting super in depth because we know that a lot of people haven't seen these movies yet. And when those movies come out, we'll probably be doing an episode where we do get more in depth. Like I know that we're going to be doing a spring breakers one, but it's not a dumb act. by the way. No, it's not. No, it's not a dumb act. It's just Ryan being Ryan. So just thought there'd be some clarification there. We do uh, read every email that comes in and take everything to heart. I mean, Maybe just don't be so mean about it next time. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and dive right into our first interview of the day. We had a chance to have a chat with Tony Blod, the director of an upcoming film called Rover, which just got funded on Kickstarter. So let's just give that a listen. Why don't you tell the listeners first a little bit about yourself and maybe your background in film? I uh, am a recent college grad. I graduated in 2011 from... University of uh, UCSB, which is Santa Barbara, um, with a degree in film and media studies. And then I, I moved to New York City last, I moved there um, summer of 2011. Last winter, I came across this church in Bushwick with a friend of mine. We started leasing it for, um, for as an event space in, this, in an adjoined schoolroom as artist studios. And mm-hmm. I kind of always knew that I wanted to make a film there uh, and then kind of just waited until I had made enough money from from throwing the parties and having events and leasing out the studios until I had like a decent enough budget and then just sort of made made the script based around what I had. I have a friend that lives in Bushwick. Whereabouts is this church? It's um, it's on the it's off the Myrtle Broadway JMZ stop. It's um, it's on Bushwick and Jefferson. Oh, okay. So let's talk a little bit about the movie. Maybe you can describe kind of the basic plot of the movie without giving too much away. Sure. Okay. So um, essentially, we we come into a story about coal. Um, not necessarily clear to me, and they've decided that they're going to make a movie about kind of their foundation myth. Uh, at this point, now there's only five members in the cult. It's sort of like. It's it's like one of those big cults, but I pictured it like, you know, 10 years later after people sort of realized that it was kind of a little too hokey, a little too weird, and people started leaving. So it's sort of like a sad cult that's on its way on its way out and on its last legs. And anyway, um, their current leader comes up with this idea to kind of boost morale. And so to, to do that, they hire this outside director, this kind of young kid, um, to come in and be the director. And from there, they just start making this film. And... Um, throughout the film, the director, this kid, kind of gets to know them a little bit better, and they sort of start to kind of grow together as a team. And then, well, I, I'll say this. The, the goal of the cult the whole time is to make this pilgrimage, this, like, mission to Venus, which uh, by the end of the... They've been waiting for years and years, pretty much, for their, to, like, receive a signal to make this happen. And finally, towards the end of the movie, the signal is received, and plans are made for their for their mission to Venus. I don't want to kind of give away too much about it, but I'll just leave it as a mission, I guess. 
it seems like it's one of those and this is what really drew me into the project to begin with but it seems like one of those it's like a movie within a movie within a movie like that that type of thing yeah and, i mean it, it, it definitely is and just graphically we get into that with like we shot the majority of it on red so we have the two three five aspect ratio there and then mm-hmm. when we go into their film it's uh 16.9 shot that on an hpx and then there's even scenes of their film when they're making their own kind of like self-help tapes within the film. And then we go to 4.3, it's like a VHS tape. So it's sort of, it, it really does get kind of confusing. And, then, and that's that's really my favorite part about the film is just the, the confusion between, we never really know, are these things happening in the film? Are they happening in real life? Is the film a mirror to real life? Or is, are these things actually happening? It's, 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 there, there's a lot of ambiguity in it. And that's really what I liked about it. Yeah, that's that's what really drew me in to begin with. So uh, the reason that we're talking is because you had a Kickstarter campaign, and this is was for uh, post production funding, right? Is that yeah, exactly. So you had so you funded almost the entire movie through hosting like these parties and stuff at the church where the movie takes place. Exactly, uh, renting we rented all these school classrooms as as artist studios. We had concerts art shows um film sets we had the the cast of girl or the the crew for girls shot down the street and did did holding for two days in the church which really helped and we've had photo shoots uh fashion shoots music videos just pretty much everything you name it we even had like a wedding there surprisingly enough (laughs) that's that's interesting so you're the first person that we talked to that actually got successful funding uh, through Kickstarter before we did the interview. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. So normally when we do when we do these interviews, it's before the campaign has ended. So with that with that in mind, now that you have your successful funding, are you just going to jump right into um, using that funding for some of these post production things? Like how does how does it work? You have a successful Kickstarter fund. Do you did you already get the money for that? Um, like, I think that, that the money arrives in the account in like a couple of days. Uh, it's like verified through Amazon payments or something like that. But yeah, we should have the have the money in a few days. Where we're at now is like we've already made all of our post production deals more or less, with the exception of some music licensing, but. Um, like we have a VFX or we have a uh, colorist lined up for a rate. We have a sound designer lined up for a rate, and we have um, a composer as well. So it's we've already kind of de- agreed upon these terms, and then kind of based our Kickstart funding or our goal based on like what we thought we would have to pay all these people. So we now will how- start spending the money soon. I'm um, just probably a few days out from finishing the edit to picture lock, and then we'll kind of just, you know, hand it off to the sound designer and get him paid and start spending this money. And then the music licensing is was really our biggest unknown in terms of how much we wanted to decide for our goal, but we're kind of on a good track I think in in our licensing right now, so I think we should be fine. Cool. So, plans for the movie like uh, do you have a tentative uh, completion date? I was I was trying to actually be locked picture before I left for South by Southwest last week, but that didn't happen, so Hopefully, I'll lock the picture maybe next week, and then I still have to do all the VFX. I mean, we, we'd like to get this thing done kind of by by May, I think would be great. And then do you plan on shopping this around festivals? Yeah, exactly. Well, um, 
we're we're definitely going to shop it around um, for those fall festivals. Great, great. Uh, so if people want to find more about the movie, I take it, it do, you, do you have a website set up for the movie? Uh, we don't. We have a Facebook page for the movie. I've got a personal website um, that has some info about the movie, and then there's <laughs> a lot of info on our Kickstarter page still. And do, do those Kickstarter pages stay up for a while after the yeah. campaign's over? Yeah, they'll, it'll stay up for as, kind of as long as we want it to. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's cool. All right, the movie's Rover. Tony, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to speak with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you again, Tony, for taking some time to chat with us. The movie's Rover. Be on the lookout. Next up, we have a chat with directors Kier Pollitz and Damon Malucci about their upcoming film, Detonator. Very excited about this one. So let's get right into that. So why don't we get started? You guys, both of you guys, are you from Maniunk? Is that correct? I, uh, I'm not originally from Maniunk. I'm from a different neighborhood in Philadelphia called Longcrest, which is kind of over near Olney. But I, I've, I live in Maniunk now. I, I uh, have been here for three years. Um, and uh, I've actually been back in Philly probably for about five. Da- Damon and I went to graduate school together in, in New York. And since then, I, I moved down here for teaching opportunities. Oh, okay. and- and I'm actually uh, living in Brooklyn by way of Hartford area, Connecticut, and uh, Northampton, Massachusetts. Oh, nice. Okay. So uh, we're talking about the film Detonator. Why don't you guys uh, just give us kind of a brief overview of what the film is all about? So basically, it's, a, it's about a, a guy who's sort of, uh, he's going through a transitional time in his life, and he's, He's getting older, and he was the front man of a of a of a punk band in 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 West Philly, you know, in the West Philly punk scene. And uh, he's uh, he's just sort of you know settling down and 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 embarking upon this new, more domestic version of his life. But he's you know he's he's still he's fighting with it. He's he's battling with it. And and uh, you know just as they you know they 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 move into a house together, the woman uh, who's uh, the mother of his child and. And just as that happens, this guy from his past who was in his band returns to his life and uh, and and complicates things for him. So it's about it's about him him sort of re- reconciling these two, you know, this this past notion of himself with his present reality of having to be basically having to be a father mm-hmm. and having to take care of a child and uh, and you know and, and trying trying to find a. A, uh, a new interpretation of himself that allows him to do that. So really, trying to find his his voice in the the current state that he's that he's in. Now, uh, what brought you guys to this story? Were you guys into the punk scene in Philly? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always uh, yeah, I was like, I was on the radio in, in undergrad. I was on the radio. I had a radio show, and and I I always connected with some sides of of, of punk music and. You know, it was very when I was younger. It was just you know, there's, there's something very, just very youthful about about that music. You know, it's very raw and the messages and and you know all, every everything involved with that. So I I always you know it was always a part of my life. I, I wasn't a part of the West Philly punk scene, but it was actually you know one thing one thing that interests me is just showing these different sides of existence to an audience you know that might not normally have access to it. And I was always interested by this. This scene in West Philly that I get, you know, a lot of them identify themselves as like kind of like crust punks, and and they're just these sort of, you know, they live in these old houses, these old uh, West Philly 
kind of Victorian style row homes that are huge inside. And they put on these house shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a kid when I first started teaching. I was at, I did a class at University of the Arts. And one of my students, he was like this 19-year-old kid. And he was in a punk band. Or he was kind of just starting out uh, playing around with music. But he had put on like over 100 shows. Like big shows, you know, like a couple hundred kids, a few hundred kids in his living room. He put on over a couple hundred shows in his house. And I was just very intrigued by that, and I felt this connection to him personally. I just liked him, and he was just a good kid, and I just felt like he was trying to do something fun and interesting and inclusive. And so there was definitely something about that that appealed to me. And and then just also the side of something that Damon and I are experiencing ourselves is trying to you know lead a creative existence while getting older and having families, and you know trying to be responsible and you know make art and write and make movies and and all that so we're we're kind of dealing with that in a very real way in our lives and you know so i also felt that there was something interesting about the idea of you know the, how how punk ages and you see these punk musicians that mm-hmm. you know they're 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 in their prime and they're so uh just they're just so connected to the world around them and they're just living on the surface and then they get a little bit older and they all sort of take that they either become, you know, they either evolve or they become very cynical or they sort of, you know, they burn out. And, you know, it's the, the age old story. But uh, but I just like the idea of a guy try, who had this very strong voice trying to figure out how it could mature and evolve. And, you know, and how could it can have a, uh, an, a, a it, it could exist in this adult life. Uh, with, or, with adult or, responsibilities, yeah. Sorry. Or, or could it exist? You know, or, that, yeah. I, it's, yeah. I think Kier and I talk a lot uh, about our lives, and as we work together, and you know, the, what he was talking about in a bigger picture way is kind of, you know, how do you monetize a creative lifestyle and and you know make you know make it real for your life? Um, and a shout out to in order to continue doing it, yeah. Right, and a shout out to uh, the that student who definitely shaped kind of the energy as we were, you know, doing drafts and going into pre-production. Tiny Ryan, um, yeah, and and again pulling back out a little bit more, you know, for me, uh, I had a, a sibling that's about eight years older than me, so I was attracted to the energy and the kind of DIY rough nature of, of punk. You know, growing up a little, you know, a little bit, being exposed to that and like really early hip hop uh, mm-hmm. that's always been a part of kind of my consciousness and definitely informs the energy that we bring. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting cuz I was really into the the punk scene too and I think that that's really an easy thing for young people to get into especially when they're like really angsty teens. And yeah. uh, just going back briefly to what you were saying before like when you when you're into that scene and you're in in into such uh, a scene that's so aggressive and visceral and full of energy. When you get older, it seems like you either kind of get away from it and go to a little bit more of a traditional straight-laced existence, or you you kind of stay stuck into that thing, try, trying to hold on. And it seems right. like that that's kind of where your main characters go. You have, right. yeah, they're like polar opposites at this point, even though they kind of came up together. Yeah, and a, right. lot of, a lot of times when you try to hold on, you eventually you snap. You know, so mm-hmm. it doesn't. Uh, you know, it's just it's not uh, it's not possible. And uh, you know, I, I think that was something that that, that uh, definitely in- interested us with these. You know, the dynamic of these two of these worlds, but also uh, 
just how specifically how how we can we can render them in these two distinct characters and you know it just it just seemed like it was very uh, there was a lot of potential for collision. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now this is uh, your guys's first feature film, right? Now you guys both made uh, several shorts. Uh, I was a- Kira. I was able to check out uh, your short film. Oh, okay. Uh, and and it was fantastic, by the way. A piece of America. Thanks. Thank uh, you. That is available. I f- I found it on a website somewhere. Yeah, uh-huh. it was. Uh, it, it played at uh, some festivals. It played at Claremont Ferrand, and then uh, it it's uh, now it's available on. Uh, it's called Culture Unplugged. Yep. It's like international. Uh, I don't, and, and oddly, I thought it was just going to be up there for like a year. I mean, I made this film years ago when I was in grad school. I thought it was going to be up there for a year, and it's still up there from like 2007. So. Yeah, that, that's where I found it, but it was, re- it was really good. So cool. when you guys jumped into this project being your first feature, uh, was that was that a big transition, or because you've been doing a few short films, was it kind of easy for you? Well, I think Kira and I had been working together for probably about eight years, but we didn't, you know, call each other partners. And, you know, we, we, we both have our own projects, but we kind of felt like we could get together and pool our resources and, and uh, make something that was, uh, you know, maybe greater than the sum of its parts. Um, on this particular project, you know, Kier had the story idea about these, these two friends in conflict, which I could definitely relate to. I mean, it's also, you know, it's about kind of dealing with, who's real in your life and who's toxic mm-hmm. um, and, you know, and, and, and them confronting this old scene, which we were kind of talking about earlier. And there's a militancy and, and a righteousness, you know, sometimes that it could be in that music scene um, that, you know, I think you need to have in order to keep going uh, on any endeavor that that's not, you know, kind of part of the norm. Um, so we had both been working on each other's stories and uh, helping each other out. And this one, we started writing it together. We were trying to get it into the hands of, uh, I don't want to say his name, but a, a TV, you know, somebody who was popular in TV drama uh, series at the time, or he just got off of a huge show. And we had this... Who had an interest in the project, yeah. Yeah, we, had, well, we, we knew somebody, uh, another, you know, an, uh, another TV actor uh, who had been playing small roles who was in his theater company. And he was like, yeah, this is a good story, and we think that you guys... If you, guys, if you guys can write it, I can get it to him, you know. But he kind of gave us this deadline. And so Kira and I were always talking about what we were doing. And we ended up having to, uh, you know, write this thing, a first draft, in about two weeks. I think it was actually 16 days. Um, but when he was talking about the project to me, we just started kind of jiving. And right then and there, it was, it was it, you know, became something personal to both of us. And uh, we wrote this thing um, really together, either in person or over... Uh, this kind of you know medium through mm-hmm. video chatting and conferencing, which by which by the way we saw the value of like not making eye contact, you know, and just doing voice <laughs> and then needing some eye contact because there's definitely yeah. It, yeah and and just to elaborate on that, you know, we both had projects that were stuttering forward, and it seemed like every time there was some development, you know, things things fell apart and, and, and we felt like we were back at square one and we were, we were both counseling each other on this. And so we never, we never really set out to, to co-direct. I mean, we, I think we were always open to co-writing things, but we never really set out to co-direct, but it just kind of happened that way. And we just wanted to do something 
that would be beneficial for the both of us, you know, to get to get a first feature out there and just just knowing very well that there's nothing there's no comparison to directing a feature film and what you learn from that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we just wanted to get that learning experience under our belt so that we could just get, you know, jumpstart jumpstart the process and not spend another 10 years inching along and being at the mercy of the, the industry and the scene that was, you know, and, and, and specific, uh, uh, actors or, or, or whatever. We really did this in a very grassroots way and, you know, shot a, 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 like a little teaser in the winter and used that to raise capital. And it was all small to medium private investors. And, you know, one of, one of my, close friends came on and and really really made the 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 financial side of it happen uh, my friend uh, David Giacovini and he had no experience in in the world of of making movies so this was something you know he's he was a finance guy so this was something that was new for him but he came aboard and used you know he he actually has started his own uh, uh financial business his own mutual fund so he basically took that knowledge and applied it to this and 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 helped us see this thing through um and i think you know back to just you know we were not we weren't completely powerless but we had these stories we wanted to tell and we were waiting for you know we both kind of had our our little stories of you know almost being greenlit quote unquote whatever that means mm-hmm. and having funders <laughs> that we barely know drop out and having you know actors cool with the, the story and it just takes a long time and so i think we you know, Kier, actually, I remember, you know, Kier, uh, Kier's wife was pregnant with, with Lorenzo, his first son. Shout out to Lorenzo, Kier. And, uh, <laughs> I'll tell him. And, uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> and, you know, we're, so we, it, it just, you know, the storyline felt very personal to both of us. And we were like, let's just let's, let's make this happen and let's stop waiting for, you know, this idea of like a lottery ticket and, and putting it into the hands of somebody else to tell us it's okay. And I think that's uh, – and, and, and the fact that we feel like strongly – about these characters and we, we want to live with them. Um, I think that allows us to wait however long it takes to get this out there. I mean, it's out there now, but to, to you know, to uh, watch it you know, slowly build an audience, hopefully. And I could- yeah. Well, let's actually talk about uh, the fact that it's out there. So this premiered at CineQuest 23. Is that, that's mm-hmm. right. That was its premiere. Yes. And yep. what, where are we at now as far as distribution and getting this out there? Well, yeah, that's it's interesting, uh, um, and, and that that's the thing, Adam and Kevin is is you know we made this film and and you know with the idea of jumps you know get getting things moving forward and and we still we have no idea what that you know we're kind of we're we're sifting our way through this process as we go and you know we've been in contact with people that have shown interest and I mean I think what what we'd like to do is to continue. Um, to continue screening it for a while to, you know, to continue, you know, doing screenings and, and playing some festivals and some more regional stuff and, uh, and taking advantage of the momentum of that to, to help us get our next, our next project going. And, and I guess our, our, our and I, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to speak for Damon too much, but my feeling is that the distribution is something, you know, it's sort of like a, it's a, it's a, a long process and it's something that hopefully will come as this unfolds. Okay. So I guess, I guess what I'm saying is we're not, we're not being overly aggressive with that at this point. We want to just find the right fit and we, we just want to enjoy what this is for now and, and not to uh, not rush the business of it. Yeah, and, think- and oh, I'm sorry. No, yeah, you, go, you Adam. 
Oh, I was just uh, and uh, Kier can always speak for me because we're uh, we're usually on the same page. But uh, I, you know, I think another thing to say would be we're in the bigger picture. We're not going to discriminate against what the size of the screen. You know, we we see what kind of yeah the direction this is going, and having just seen people, you know, friends of ours making movies, and and it, you know, it takes a, it takes like about eighteen months, it seems, or a couple years in the current state of things to get something on a a, a a known platform, you know, uh, you know that they can stream or down or, or get on demand. So oh, yeah. we're we're definitely interested in that, and and you know that's an interesting current ride that we're on. Yeah, and also just like having fun with it and doing things like talking to you guys. Like I really, you know, just from what I've seen of your site, it's I really like what you guys are doing. I think oh, it's it's got its own Very voice. Nice. It's unique. I love what you're doing with Ryan. It's kind of got like a kind of got. <laughs> It's kind of got like a Carl Pilkington vibe to it. I don't yeah, know. we've heard that. It, but I like it, man. It's it's like it's its own thing, and I think that's what's going to make people come to that. And just like having a chance to talk to you guys, I mean, that to me is as much as valuable a part of the process as you know having it stream on on you know whatever Hulu or Amazon or Netflix or whatever. Yeah. Is, is Ryan going to review our movie? <laughs> yeah, I, I doubt that. We we can have him. Yeah, we can we can give it to him. <laughs> Ryan? Yeah, we'll we'll give it we'll give it to him and see see what he says. See what kind of one-liner he, he comes back with. I will say he did we did take him to a screening of Drinking Buddies, Joe Swanberg's Drinking Buddies uh-huh. at South by and he really liked that. So Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, he was he was laughing he was laughing his ass off at that one. Great! I'm excited. I haven't seen it, but I'm I'm excited to see it because everything I've heard, you know, it's just. I mean, obviously, it's a lot bigger than most of the stuff that Joe's done. Um, but I've uh, I've just heard good things about it. Oh yeah, it's 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 really great. It's really yeah. Great. Cool, cool. That's... So, how, like, you, Joe Swanberg plays a small role in this <laughs> in this film. Mm-hmm. How did what? How did that come about? Uh, he's uh. Uh, our our buddy uh, Larry, who we went to to Columbia with, to, you know, for for graduate school, who plays Sully, who plays the lead in the right. movie, mm-hmm. has you know has been in stuff with Joe, and you know we just we originally were looking to uh, ca- you know the character was was an was an older gentleman, and uh, but we just there, there was just something about it that just felt a little contrived, and we just thought we we cast in a very different way. And we were just looking for somebody that had had a presence and had a, you know, just ha- could 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 bring a little bit more nuance to that specific character and kind of crack it open a little bit. And I feel like I've seen Joe and stuff. I mean, actually, specifically, um, uh, he, what he I don't have you ever seen the film Quiet City? Oh, no, I haven't. Yeah, it was kind of like I, I don't even remember who directed that, it. I think that's Katz, Aaron Katz. Aaron the Katz. Guy did, the guy did uh, Cold Weather. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Joe had a small role in that, and I, I, I liked that that film, and and I actually liked what he did in that because he made this s- smaller role interesting, and and uh, you know what what Joe does in terms of the films that he makes is very different from what we're trying to do. You know, I, I think what we're trying to do is a, a a bit more of a you know a bit more of like a focused narrative, more of a you know a, aggressive character driven narrative mm-hmm. um but but we just we you know we have tremendous respect for this guy you know and and we 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 like his films and we you know the fact that he's so prolific and that he's young and he's done so much and 
and he's doing it on his terms. I mean, there's something very respectable about that, and yeah, so, so we just kind of connected with him, and 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 you know, just 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 worked out, and you know, so I guess the the you know, it's just through through the network of connections, you you find people that uh, you know are interesting, and yeah, thought, and they can lend something to a character, and that that have the chops. You yeah, know, that's important. I thought his character yeah. was hilarious too by the way. <laughs> thanks it, it was hilarious working with him we we had fun yeah. with it did he try and ad-lib everything yeah yeah, yeah. i mean uh, he definitely he brought his, his own style like even little things like just wanting to wear black socks and you know he just <laughs> you know he brought his sensibility to it and and uh and we appreciated that because he did a lot with something that wasn't, you know, didn't have a ton of screen time or space on the page. He really, he made it something more than what, what we had written it as being. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I just briefly want to talk about the rest of the cast because I don't want them to feel left out sure. here. We, sure. already, we already mentioned uh, uh, Lawrence Levine, who is Sully, the main character of the film. Yeah. And then we have uh, Benjamin Ellis Fine. He's mm-hmm. Mick. Now, uh where did he's been in uh, several short films? Where did you find him? Because he he was great for this role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, yeah, I think that's the answer too. Is he just he was perfect for the role? And you know, Ben's done a lot of theater stuff in in New York, and he's just been around for a while. And you know, like he went to Interlochen, uh, which is like a performing arts high school. It sounds like it's a pretty intense environment, and so he's been like living this this life for a long time mm-hmm. and he just he's he's very you know i, I often describe him as mer- mercurial mm-hmm. and he's very different from the character of mick in that you know ben is a very thoughtful guy and ben, well actually i shouldn't say that because i think mick is is a thoughtful guy too um but i think ben is a guy that you know he's very measured in a lot of ways but mm-hmm. he also has this he's like you know he has this tempest inside of him <laughs> he's yeah. always waiting to come out and i think he just you know i damon had known him for for a little while through mutual friends and had always said to me like this is the guy for this role i mean this i you know i i I see this guy taking this to another level and then he sort of you know he slowly convinced me and then i and then i had a good long conversation on the phone with ben and and i was you know entirely convinced that that he could do it um but yeah yeah, he's a he's a jester for sure, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that you, you put it well, Kara. I mean, he, w- you know, we thought that he's going to push, um, you know, all of us uh, in terms of artistically and uh, you know, as his character, and he's going to make us have to yeah. step up yeah. our game, you know, and having a strong kind of antagonist or antagonal character uh, that you can feel for, I, you know, I think that makes for a much better story, and you know, it only increases the conflict and raises the stakes. And and I think that he's a character that a lot of people know. Like it, when I saw this movie, I was like, "Oh, that's just like one of my friends or this this person that I used to be friends with." Like a lot yeah. of people have that kind of friend or person in their life where they're just like, they're you're friends with them. They're they're nice. They're good people, but at the same time, they just they kind of bring you down all the time. No, I I think that's that's just it, Adam. Is I, I think that I don't know how old you guys are, but you definitely you get into your mid to late twenties, and you know you have this time in your early twenties where you're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna be with this gang forever, and then you get in your yeah. late twenties and your thirties, and you start to get into 
your own your own life, your own adult life, and then you really start to see how these people fit in the world and in your own existence and how they can't fit. And I feel like, you know, I've I've had a couple people in my life that were pretty important. Mm-hmm. And, and then you just reach a point where you have a night with them or you have a few hours with them and you're just like, I, ca- I can't see this person anymore, you know? <laughs> it's impossible, right. I, you know? It's just not going to work. And I feel like, yeah, everybody can relate to that. And it's, it's interesting because I think – I was going to say with I, I think it's the case with both men and women. You there are people that will take will battle that until the the end of their life. You know they'll mm-hmm. keep these very destructive personalities in in their lives to their own detriment, and and they'll just you know. And I guess there's something respectable about that too. I, I don't know, but uh, oh, and going back to the kind of idea of of the scene, the music scene, and and you know uh, how kind of intense you know. Uh, kind of mu- people's mutual feelings are and, and being in a little bit of a bubble. You know, I, I feel like, uh, you know, Sully and Mick, t- their bond is so strong. They grew up together and, and in that punk scene, they went to college. You know, that was their college. That was their right. transition into the first kind of stages of, you know, asserting who they were in the world, you know. And so that makes it extra strong when, when you're dealing with old people who are challenging, you know, they're throwing in your face things that you said, things that you stood for. Yeah, absolutely. I also wanted to mention you got Robert Longstreet, the great Robert Longstreet mm-hmm. for this film. Uh, he plays uh, a great character. I would also call him sort of an antagonist in this film as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think the idea with it, you know, is is he's the he's who we think the antagonist is until it becomes very clear that he's not and i think he actually says it at one point that mm-hmm. uh, um right. but we with him yeah it's like we wanted somebody who could play you know i, I thought it would be interesting to have because it, it's a role that he hasn't really played and i think he has this very menacing quality to him but um i've never seen him play something that uh you know a character that is meant to be so threatening so physically threatening and and emotionally threatening and i and but i also think what he did is he brought you know because originally we were thinking you know this is this character is somebody like you know like like rollins Mm -hmm. and but our concern with casting an actor like rollins would be that he would just eat the scenery you know he just wouldn't and he wouldn't bring any humanity to this character he would just make him this this caricature of this old this old you know very political (laughs) punk rock guy and well what longstreet did is he brought like this level of sensitivity to this character and uh you know that's that's really what we were hoping to to get from him right i remember just watching you know him on the monitor and and on on set and i mean he he, just in his eyes and he took this you know can can i can i curse can i say shit kicker mentality oh yeah on uh (laughs) you know uh character and he but but he basically made him uh you know a scorned lover in some ways and yeah, i think yeah that, that that's kind of the thing that keep you know that keeps him more interesting than just a, a a threat or a bad guy is just watching you know what is this what does these relationships mean <laughs> to him why is he you know and this was great about all our actors you know that they're all filmmakers and storytellers and they're all you know we're getting into great conversations or they're asking us like why am i doing this and if and if you know forced us to to get deeper and deeper and, and, and really figure out what's motivating, you know, this possibility that you're going to hurt this person, you're going to hurt maim them in front of their family. And 
uh, you know, Robert definitely brought that. Right. Yeah, um, and it's, it's it, exactly. It, you know, it's very much a love story. It's it's a low in a lot of ways. It's a love triangle, and in order to play that, you know, we needed to have actors that had that, you know, w- had that capability. You yeah. know, and had that depth to to you know to the performances that they could they could bring. Uh, one final question for you guys: uh, Who who sang the song? Who who was detonator? Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's yeah, great. Well, it was uh, it was actually uh, uh, the New Bomb Turks or New Bomb Turks, um, who are banned uh, early '90s. Yeah, I, I remember them. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Eric Davidson actually had a, the lead singer of that band actually had a small role in the movie, um, and he had originally played Dutch in the teaser that we shot. Uh, before we had Longstreet on board, and uh, so so that's the New Bomb Turk. That's New Bomb Turk's version of an old uh, song, and uh, um, we just like we felt we well, the first time we heard that song, we were just like, this is an first of all, it's an amazing song. Mm-hmm. The uh, New Bomb Turk's version of that song, we we, we you know we just love that band, and uh, you know we feel like they embody the just the the. I think uh, Adam. I think you said just like the the visceral nature of mm-hmm. not just punk music, but like punk performance. Yeah. And if you watch Eric Davidson perform, usually in like these small venues, I mean, he is he brings <laughs> not just an energy, but just this passion to his performance that you just cannot look away from this guy. And we wanted this movie to have that. We, we didn't, you know, we didn't want this movie to be. We wanted this with this movie to be something that had uh, the potential to have layers about about relationships and about these personalities but we also wanted it to feel explosive or at least to have the potential for that and we wanted the you know we wanted the arrival to mick of mick to feel like it was you know it was tripping a wire yeah and and there was that that emotional danger there and we just felt like this band and this singer and performer just just completely uh embodied that spirit um so yeah that's really well, I, and, I I think the song was incredibly effective, and <laughs> I think that uh, everything that you just mentioned, I think you succeeded with with the movie. So, thank uh, you. I want to thank both of you guys for taking some time to chat with us. The film is Detonator, and I believe you, you guys have a website up, right? Is it uh, DetonatorMovie dot com? DetonatorMovie dot com. Yeah, and you can talk to us at DetonatorMovie as well. Okay, so go to at Detonator Movie on Twitter, DetonatorMovie.com. Uh, Damon and Kier, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to talk with us. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us, Kevin and Adam. Thank you again to Kier and Damon for taking some time to talk with us. Detonator's the film. Make sure to be looking out for that one. All right, let's get into our talk about the second half of uh, our South by Southwest films. Now, originally, I will say, full disclosure, we did record an entire episode that they covered all of these, and after that email, I was pretty dis- disheartened by, by the result, the end result, and when I went back and listened to the second part, it's it was even worse. Than- I, well, yeah, I was going to say, the way I remember it, the second one was very bad. Yeah, it was it was terrible, so we just scrapped it. <laughs> Let's just talk about this. Again, I will say we're just going to be brief with these movies uh, because most of them are not out yet. So we're just going to give the just our broad feelings about them. I'm not going to get it. Not going to get into like, you know, super detail on this. Yeah. Plus when they're when we 
do not enjoy them and this is a film festival where they don't have you know distribution yet you don't want to kill a film yeah yeah we're not gonna just just destroy a film on the air especially if it hasn't had a chance to you know reach its audience or whatever so uh, the first movie we're going to talk about is Mitchell Altieri's Holy Ghost People. And that's why I said that disclaimer. Now, see, well, I actually like this more than more than you. I will say that it does have its flaws, but overall I enjoyed it. Basically, this is a film about a, a girl who is trying to rescue her sister who falls into this church in the Appalachian Mountains that it's a snake handling church, more like a cult. I mean, I'd say it's more of a cult than a church, but I guess sometimes that line is blurred. And yeah. he and she she employs the help of uh, the local drunk to try to help her rescue her sister. Now, Mitchell Altieri is one half of the Butcher Brothers, who they've done movies like The Hamiltons and The Violent Kind. And although I always find their movies to be interesting story-wise, I always I always feel like their um their movies kind of like suffer on a technical level, like they're just not quite up to snuff, but I think that they are getting better, and I think that Holy Ghost People is the best of what he has done <laughs> as far as quality. However, there are issues with the movie. The acting is not very good. The Special effects. effects are pretty terrible. Which is something that I was thinking about yesterday. Special effects. Why don't people use more... Uh, step away from the computer-generated special effects. Yeah, like, I don't know why they opt in for the CG stuff when they can just easily use fake blood. Yeah, and, and it, you're th- there's another scene with involving rocks. That, that has special effects. And I'm thinking, how hard is it to break up some bits of, like, Nerf material and just paint them to look like rocks? Yeah, yeah. But that being said, uh, there isn't a whole lot of CG in this movie. It's not like it's, um, you know, no, no, overly yeah. done. It's it's just, like, when you, when it does happen, you can see it. Like, yeah. it's it's kind of jarring when the, when the CG does come into this movie. Which is like, which is because they use real snakes in the movie too, but they add, you know, fake rattlers on them. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it has so much promise. Yeah. Just like you said, I'm not really familiar with the Butcher Brothers like you are. You've seen the other films. And from the the sounds of it, it just seems like they haven't quite gotten their footing yet. Yeah. Well, it is to note that this is just. They they split up. I think that they're each doing their own movie. I'm pretty sure that they both decided to make their own one separately. So this is just Mitchell of of the Butcher Brothers, and I I can't remember the other dude's name, but I think that he's going to be making his own movie as well. But either way, Holy Ghost People that should be out soon. I'm not sure what the status of of that is, but I'm sure it's going to get picked up. Yeah, I think the other one is Phil Flores. The Flores is the other butcher brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on, Spring Breakers. Again, we're not going to get really deep into this because we're going to do an entire episode on Spring Breakers. Mm-hmm. We we loved it so much. Everything about this movie is perfection. And mm-hmm. yeah, 
if you're in a city where it's playing, please go see it. I think it, it gets a wider release next weekend. <clears throat> James Franco's best role that he's ever done. Easily. Incredible. The editing, the, the camera work, the use of the colors. It's just, it's a masterpiece. I, w- I would say get ready for an overuse of look at all my shit. Mm-mm. I think we're going to be hearing that a lot after this film comes out. This is uh, definitely a quotable film. Yes, but I, yeah. I think that people are going to be quoting this movie for, for a long time. And it's it's well-deserved. It's just an amazing film all around. Yeah, de- definitely Corinne's most mature work, oddly enough, since, since the storyline and everything is so immature. Yeah, and I think that it's also his most accessible work as well i mean yeah i don't know i don't know if i ever would have imagined a a harmony corinne film getting a wide release and and (laughs) and having the the stars like selena gomez (laughs) yeah i think it it still has corinne's bizarreness surrealism just odd just odd uh, like grotesque images it still has all of that while being accessible some way. I don't know how he did it, but... And I think that one thing that we said before, I think that uh, people are going to like this for different reasons. Like, there's yes. going to be the the college frat boy crowd that likes it because it's a movie about spring break and it shows a lot of nudity. And then f- fans of Harmony Korine or film fans are going to like it for completely different reasons and more like it for kind of the... the the statement that it's making. Yeah. Just all of his, the film styles that he uses, like the camera work and everything, they're just at their highest level in this film. Everything's perfect. And I would also like to mention it has an amazing soundtrack as well. does have an amazing soundtrack. And there is a great scene involving Britney Spears. song. Oh yes, yes, yes. Which could God, that is amazing. So, Definitely go out and see Spring Breakers as soon as it's playing in your area. You will not be disappointed. Uh, then Ryan and I actually saw Rewind This, which is a documentary about VHS and goes over the history of VHS, kind of the resurgence of VHS, and it really gets into uh, pretty much every aspect of VHS that you can imagine. And I found it incredibly interesting and being a big fan of 80s films and the whole VHS culture that I guess is sort of formulating I was I was a really big fan of this movie tons of interviews hilarious interviews uh so if you're into campy 80s videotapes <laughs> and just that whole that whole scene this is an absolute must see but it, I think that it's also an important film I believe in my review I said that this this movie kind of acts as a time capsule so that we can remember the fact that this format, VHS, changed everything. It, it completely changed uh, the landscape of film because it, it added the fact that you can watch these movies at home. Like, that changed everything. Yeah, I mean, just thinking of that is insane. There were so many films that you could not see. Just think of all the, you know, the foreign films that you yeah. could not see. 
because I had this thought uh, a couple months back when I watched Gene Thielman, you know, three and a half hours long. And to think that when people saw this movie, you were trapped in a theater and you had to sit there for three and a half hours and watch this. I got to do it at home where I could pause it anytime I wanted and smoke a cigarette and take a bathroom break. It's yeah. completely different. Absolutely. So rewind this. Check that out. Uh, then I believe you saw Loves Her Gun. Indeed. That, that's where I was while you guys were watching Rewind This. Yes. This is the sophomore effort from Jeff Marslett, who did uh, a little indie movie, a rotoscoped film called Mars with Mark Duplass. Um, this is, I pretty much guess it's a entirely Austin production, like an Austin filmmaker and everything. Could be wrong, not sure. But a little indie movie about a woman who is attacked. She's living in New York City. She's attacked. She's mugged. So she decides to go with a group of friends to Austin, thinking that it would be more laid back, um, maybe get away from the paranoia and the fear from the uh, attack that she suffered in New York City. But she finds out that when she gets to Austin that she's exactly the same. She's just as scared as ever. She's just as paranoid, uh, always looking over her shoulder. But in Texas, she gets herself into the Texas's gun culture, and she ends up getting herself a gun for means to feel safe. And then it sort of explores, um, you know, some of the effects and how they take her toll on her. I don't want. I don't want to give too much away. I mean, it it builds up a while until she actually gets the gun. And I just sort of leave it at that. It was solid performances all around. And I would definitely check it out if you get a chance. Yeah, I'm anxious to see this as soon as I can. Then we have Computer Chess. Uh, This, you know, I don't know if you've been looking anything. Have you been looking up anything on this movie, Kevin? This this is getting quite a bit of buzz. Like, people are really liking this movie a lot. Yes. And uh, unfortunately we weren't too keen on this. I really get, I get what they were doing. I think that it was a clever idea. So the premise is the film takes place in the early eighties and it's shot in black and white. It's at a chess computer chess tournament where programmers have their computers face one another in a chess match to see who will reign supreme. And it's a comedy but it's a yeah. very, very dry, very dry, very dry comedy. And they put in a lot of really weird stuff. I do. There, there are a few things that I want to say that I did like about it. The, the all the like title cards that would come up. I liked, <laughs> I liked yes. the, the kind of VHS style to it. And I will say that this movie looked like it was made in the eighties. I mean, oh, yeah. they nailed it. I they, think they, what they used like an old Sony video camera i think is what i read well what they used they nailed it i remember when i first uh heard about this movie i didn't know anything about it at all i thought that it was actually a documentary about computer chess because the first clips that came out there weren't there wasn't any dialogue or anything like that it was just kind of like uh just video clips yeah and when i saw it i was like oh must be like a documentary about this tournament back in the 80s and then after you see the movie, of course, you realize like, oh, oh, it's not, it's kind of poorly acted and it's kind of 
poorly thrown together and it didn't i think it ended up just not working for us however i think that there is an audience for it oh yeah there's definitely an audience for it and i mean there's gonna be like a cult audience there's gonna be a very devoted fan base for this film yeah i i I can i can definitely see that and like you said they he nailed everything it looks like there was a legit staff member of the chess tournament who had a video camera and filmed all this and and like there were everyone nailed it yeah yeah i just i think in the end it just wasn't for us and maybe i don't know maybe it was just the environment that we were in but i was left wanting more i Thought that it yeah. had so much potential that uh, seemed to be squandered. So yeah, for me, I can definitely see people loving this film. Yeah, and oh, thinking yeah. that it's the greatest thing they've ever seen, which is completely fine. It just like you said, it wasn't for me. I liked what he was doing, you know, the aesthetic that he was going for, but it just didn't work for me. No, and and uh, in the end, I just didn't find it to be that funny. I thought some of the jokes worked, but I, for the most part, I. I didn't really connect with a lot of the humor. No. Uh, uh, then I want to talk about the retrieval. Now, you, you did get a chance to see this, right? I did, because I was going to review it, and when I went to review it... Beat you to the punch. You already did it. This is a beautifully shot film. I was yes. I was kind of blown away by the visuals in this, Same here. in this movie. This takes place during the Civil War, and it's about a... Young boy and his uncle, who are bounty hunters, and they are charged with going to retrieve a guy to bring him back to be executed, most likely. Pretty much. Not not even most likely. I think they even flat out say in the movie, bring him back alive so we can kill him. Yeah. Uh, This was very good. This did win... What was the what's the term? It was the, like the grand jury recognition for acting, something like that. Yeah, it did it did win that at South by? I thought the performances were were pretty good. I I didn't think the kid was amazing. I thought I thought he did a, a very good job playing off of Tashawn Scott's character Nate, who is the one that they're essentially kidding to take back and kill. Yeah. I thought he, he held his own. Yeah, I just I wasn't blown away by his performance, but I thought everybody else was great. And, I mean, it, it is kind of a, a slow film. There's not a lot of action or anything like that, but I did think that that was interesting how they did it because, I mean, this is obviously a low-budget film. Even though it looks, <laughs> even though it looks amazing, it, it is a low-budget film, but how they kind of portrayed the, the Civil War, like how you knew that it was happening right by them because you could always hear the cannon fire. And then there's yeah. there's a particular scene where where they get real close to the action, which I don't want to give anything about that away because it's kind of a big scene in the movie. But I really like how they, they handled that and how it's just, essentially it's a movie that takes place during the Civil War, but it's not necessarily about the Civil War. No, I mean, it really has nothing to do with the Civil War. It's just they use that as a backdrop. Yes, exactly. So I think I can definitely see some Spirit Award nominations in in this movie's horizon. It, it, seems, it seems like this movie would be right up their alley. Yeah, without a doubt. And especially for Deshaun Scott. I, I mean, I completely agree. After seeing this movie, I completely agree with that. 
the acting award. I thought he was fantastic in it. And the weird thing is, is he was also in computer chess. Was he? Yeah, he was in both. He was like the new age. Uh, oh yeah, the the teacher therapy that, that sh- couple that that shared the shared the uh, <laughs> the meeting room or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't recognize that that was him. Yeah, that's interesting. And I I can definitely see him being in a lot more films. Yeah, in a short amount of time. Yeah, I I, Hope, I I mean hopefully he is. I'd like to see him in more things. I could I definitely. I thought he did a that. great job in the retrieval. And I like to see more from Chris Eska. This was fantastic. And like you said, I mean, most of the film is just them walking through the woods. That's it. But it is shot so beautifully. It's I think, amazing. I think in my review, I compared it to Once Upon a Time in Anatolia or Loneliest Planet. Yeah. I mean, there's one scene where it, I think it only lasts like two, three seconds, maybe, where they're walking across the field. It's sort of like a wide angle shot. But there's a like a fog cover mm-hmm. over the field. Oh my goodness. That yeah. looked amazing. Yeah. So the retrieval, check that out. I'm not sure where they're at as far as distribution distribution yet, but Hopefully it comes out. This was a this was a gem. Yes. Out of a lot of the films that we saw at South by Southwest. Uh there were two other documentaries that I saw that I wanted to briefly mention. The first was Hey Bartender, which is the it's a documentary about craft cocktails and the kind of uh growing popularity of bartending and and cocktail bartending specifically yeah definitely resurgence now when i when i first heard about this movie i actually kind of thought it was going to be like about big time bartenders that do like that enter those competitions where they do like the flips and the crazy tricks and stuff it's not about that at all which i was very glad that it wasn't about that (laughs) They touch on it really briefly. I mean, like, really briefly. But it's mostly about the the bartenders that take the job very seriously and are extremely passionate about their work. And I do recommend this movie, even if you're not, like, a huge cocktail kind of guy or girl. It's, it's very interesting. Kind of follows the... It follows two main characters... One is an apprentice at Employees Only, which is like one of the the biggest cocktail bars in New York City. And the other guy owns a bar called Dunville's. And he he's kind of struggling to keep his bar afloat. Like his house is in foreclosure. So it's it's two bartenders, but they all ha- they both have very different lives. And the interesting thing is like these guys are really likable. Like you you're really rooting for them to succeed. They, they all have really interesting stories, and that's what really makes this movie worth watching is just the, the two main characters. Now, what's, what's your favorite cocktail? Do you have I, I don't have one. I, you don't have one? Do you have one after watching this film? I will say that this movie really made me want a cocktail <laughs> because the way that they present it throughout, throughout the movie, they show some of the – they get – it's not just the two guys. They get a ton of people, like super famous bartenders. I mean, they even talked to the girl that created the Apple Teeny, for God's sake. Wow. So they get all these really famous, I'd even call them like celebrity bartenders, uh, to, to make 
their kind of signature drinks and the way that they film it is really cool and it yeah it makes you want to drink for sure but to answer your question no i don't have a favorite cocktail i like to mix it up i try all different types now was there one from this film that you're like damn I've never had that, but I need they, to have that. They, they do get into some of the really crazy stuff that, that people do. And, and I don't know if they... I think they did name most of the drinks, but there was a couple that looked so odd. Like, there was this one where he put eggs in it, and mm. it, it, like, rose... It looked like a glass of milk, but it, like, rose up above the top of the glass, and it was just so weird-looking. Hmm... Uh, like a lot of them use like dry ice and all kinds of weird. Um, yeah, so they start getting into like molecular drinks and all uh, that stuff. Uh, a little, a little bit. They don't really talk about it too much, but they show some of the really weird stuff that they do. Uh, but but it's mostly just about making a good cocktail. Like they don't they don't really get into the the theatrics of it and stuff in fact they a lot of the the people that they interview kind of poo poo that and be like yeah you know you can do this all this crazy stuff but if it's going to take you 10 minutes to make a drink nobody's going to want that anyway yeah exactly like when i go to a bar i mean it takes long enough to get a damn drink at a bar and that's second you got to sit through 10 minutes of him flipping bottles up and down it's like i just want a drink just give me a cocktail so i can get back to my friends yeah but uh, i Highly recommend it. It's it's very entertaining. Uh, and then the other one is And Who Taught You to Drive? This is a documentary about driving, learning how to drive. But the interesting oh, yeah. the interesting thing is it's three people from that are transplants in whatever country they're in. So we have an American in Tokyo, we have a German in uh, India, Mumbai. And then we have a Korean in Germany. Oh. And these are all people that moved there for whatever reason, and they decided that they need to be able to get a license and drive. And it's just about the cultural differences with driving and, and the lessons and how they go about getting a license and that type of thing, and just how different it is. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's extremely interesting. I when I started the job that I'm at now, I started the same day as uh, one of my coworkers is Indian, and he always tells me about driving in India, and it's like it's just amazing what he tells me. It's yeah. just pure insanity. Yeah, one thing that I learned from this movie is I would never want to ever drive in India. Yeah, like it, there's they don't have lights, stop signs, nothing. Yeah, it's just chaos. It's just a free for all. And the fact that he tells me that if you get in an accident with someone, you're allowed to beat them up until they give you money. <laughs> and uh, if the cops come, the cops will help you beat them up until you get your money. Yeah, that's crazy. It's just, it would, it just oh my goodness. I'd uh, be scared to death. Like Hey Bartender, the thing that this movie really had going for it was the three main characters. They were all very likable characters, and a lot of the movie just kind of followed their personal lives as much as it did them taking the driving lessons and that type of thing so with a movie like this it was really important that we like the people that we're watching and we really did and i like movies that take place in other countries and explore different cultures and the way that they did this you know we essentially got to explore the different cultures of of india and tokyo and um i think it was 
Berlin, if I'm not mistaken, but how they were able to explore those cultures through the act of learning how to drive. I thought it was kind of fresh and, and fun. It's a very light documentary. Yeah. But seems interesting. So that was that was our South by Southwest slate. Overall, I would say it was it was a great festival. Uh no doubt. Yeah, I mean the I wanna give a shout out to all the people, all the volunteers and all the, the crew. Um like we mentioned in the last episode, we did have Ryan with us and they were very accommodating, so it was it was a good time. Yeah, they they made it a lot easier for us. Yeah. And I, for him. Yeah. We appreciate greatly. Yeah, absolutely. So all right. I think that does it for that. Let's move on and talk about some uh predictions. Now we don't we don't have any to go over since we were at the festival last week, so we're just gonna predict what's coming out next week. Uh first up we have the crudes. <laughs> the crudes. Uh the crudes. What are you thinking on this? Ba- what are you thinking on this bad boy? The crudes. Fifty-two. Fifty-two. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I. It doesn't look very good to me, so I'm gonna say like a forty-six. And we have admission. That's the new Paul Rudd, Tina, Tina Fey. Admission. Mm. I'm gonna say I don't. I like Paul Rudd. I like Tina Fey. It seems like it could be funny, but I don't think it'll be very well received. Mm. Could be wrong. I'm gonna say fifty-six. Ooh, wait. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, eh. Yeah, I'll say fifty-six. I'm gonna go up to fifty-two again. I was gonna change it to a lower number, but I decided to stick with it. It sounds like I might be going straight fifty-twos. And then we have Olympus has fallen. This is the <laughs> what? Are, Antoine Fuqua <laughs> action. Great action. Uh, basically, it looks like Die Hard. In the White House. Yeah, that everyone's been clamoring for that. What do you think? Fifty-two on this one? Yeah, I was thinking fifty-two, but I I don't want to give him too much credit here. Somebody dropped that down to like a forty. Forty, okay. Uh, ooh, I'll say forty-two on that one. That's it for wide releases. DVD and Blu-ray releases for Tuesday, March nineteenth. Got a good number. We have Bachelorette finally coming out. i feel like that came out like a long time ago i don't know why it's just yeah i, I think it was because it was one of those on-demand ones just yeah felt like it's been out for a long time um what are you thinking on the bachelorette you gonna recommend that no i'm not going to watch that yeah i'm not gonna watch it. i just i have no interest in it whatsoever i've seen it i mean we talked about it before on the show didn't do we have ryan watch that or did he yeah just, we did did we yeah mm-hmm we had him watch Bachelorette for Bachelorette. Oh, okay. He liked it. I remember he liked it. Uh, and then we have The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. Going to give this bad boy a watch? Mm, I, I I still got to do the first three Lord of the Rings. Well, the only three Lord of the Rings. Well, so. wasn't... I mean, The Hobbit's a prequel. So <laughs> yeah, you, The Hobbit is the prequel. You're going to start with The know. Hobbit and then... No, no, I'm not going to... I'm just going to do... I'm gonna stick with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I think and if I'm, I can handle any more Middle Earth and orcs and whatever, maybe I'll watch The Hobbit. I think that I'm with you on this because I've actually I've seen part of the first Lord of the Rings, but I fell asleep. So I think I'm gonna 
set out to watch all three of them this year as well. And we can just, should, we can discuss. Should be wild ride. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be oh, <laughs> incredibly, wild wild. Ride, okay? incredibly wild. Uh, and we have rust and bone. This ended up on both of our top tens last year. We, we both loved this movie. So yeah, definitely check that one out. Yeah, absolutely. Loved it. Zero dark 30. I would also recommend checking that out. I would as well. Les Miserables. Uh, See, with this movie, oof. odds are if you haven't seen it, you're, yeah. you're not, it, it's not for you. Because nope. I feel like with, with a movie like that, you have the diehard fans and then people that don't like it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like those, those are it. There's really nobody in the middle. No, I can't imagine there's anyone that's like, eh, maybe I'll check that out. Yeah. So you, had, you had to see it by now if you wanted to. I mean, the only thing that I, I might say is there might be some cool special features and stuff on the Blu-ray. I don't know. Uh, and then finally, this is 40, the Judd Apatow, you know. Extended cut. I hope there's an extended cut. It's like four hours long. Yeah. It's just the, it's just the theatrical version. Yeah. Since, since he doesn't use an editor ever. I did like this movie, but... It is long. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it as well, but the, the, he needs an editor, or at least an editor with a backbone. He needs. Like, he needs to seriously, Apatow. Yeah, you need to cut this out. There's no reason for it to be in here. Yeah, I think the the movie's like two and a half hours long. It's just it's like so much. Yeah, and there's so many yeah, unnecessary there's so many scenes. Unnecessary. Where you're just like, why? Why is that there? What? What does this add to the story? Yeah, exactly. Nothing. I do recommend renting it though, because it is funny. I think it's worth seeing just for the the conversation between Paul Rudd and Lena Dunham and uh, um, Chris O'Dowd. Yes, <laughs> <worry>. that and <laughs> again, Brooks. Albert Brooks in this movie, I thoroughly enjoyed him. Yeah, him, him and his, rela- his relationship with his very young children. <laughs> uh, we're going to play a game called Murder. Uh, any any other releases, Criterion or otherwise? We we have two Criterions coming out, Blu-rays. Two Blu-rays going on. The first one is a Terrence Malick, Badlands, from 1973. Of course, that uh, sort of catapulted him onto the scene with starring none other than Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek. Oh, boy. I still haven't seen this movie. I'm, maybe it's about time I do that. I'm not interested. I'm not, I'm not a huge Malick fan. I'm not interested. I'll check it out sometime. Maybe like four years from now. <laughs> uh, and then the second one is what's considered to be the finest British film ever made. The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp by uh, Powell and Pressburger. Hmm. Which I've been wanting to see this for a long time because I just I hear about it constantly. Constantly and how great it is. So... Again, I think it's about time I check out this film. There you go. Well, I think that wraps it up. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. We want to hear your feedback. Send us an email, feedbackfilmpulse.net, or call our voicemail line at 850-391-6071. Also, please take a minute to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Wednesday for Ryan Watches a Movie.
keep it.